2: Welcome boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Take the Black Live, the one and only uh, internet chat show we talk about all things, sci-fi, fantasy, movies, television, etc. and so forth. I am Dan Stelke of WinnersComing.net, here with Daniel Roman of WinnersComing.net, and Hello. all of you out there are Philip Plus, fantasy fan, Andrew Haley, see you later Andrew, Martha, good to see everybody, and you came on a good day Somehow, an even better day than last week because every show we improve and only get stronger and that's more right. fearsome. Daniel, how are you this Wednesday? I'm good. I'm feeling stronger
3: and more fearsome. I think that's a that is our house words uh, for the show this week and every week as things progress <laughs>
2: until um, we decide we want some new ones. Yes, I agree. that's
3: right. That's right. And Dan, how are you? And how are all of you
2: out there? Good to see you. Great. I'm I'm very, very busy. We're trying to buy a condo, and it is a job, let me tell you. But um, when we're not doing that, I'm keeping up with the latest news of all things books, movies, TV, fantasy. And let me tell you, Daniel, there's a lot. We've got to get through. So I say we just uh, go to the deep end of the pool, dive right in, and um, see what happens. Are you ready Let's to jump in with me? Okay. Yeah, I,
3: I'm curious. What's been up? Because I've I've been a little out of it with the news loop lately, and I think there's quite a bit that we have to talk about today. So, so what's up Can we share first?
2: what you're doing tomorrow, or can we not say that? I think we should hold off on that. We can Okey talk dokey. about it next week. Fine. We're going to talk about something relevant to it later, though. Daniel has an interesting thing he's doing tomorrow for the site. I do. Stay tuned. I do. No, let's talk about... Um, House of the Dragon, HBO's Game of Thrones prequel show set a hundred some years beforehand about rival factions of the Targaryen dynasty battling for the Iron Throne. Um, We know the second season is wrapped. They're done filming it. It's complete. And now we are either getting alarming new allegations, not allegations, uh, uh, alarming new reports (laughs) about, yeah, I don't want to call them that about um who may or may not be in it or um the flailings of a fan community without new uh set photos to look at these reports come from uh house the dragons which is a uh twitter account on twitter or x whatever you want to call it nice and they're good i've watched them i want to say in advance the i i don't think this should be taken as gospel this is a rumor i like the twitter account i'm not prepared to vouch for its unimpeachable authority they're good though sh- i like them yeah i'd be shocked if these rumors are true
3: personally oh, yeah?
2: okay we well, can explain why what are the rumors dan what are we hearing down the grapevine about house so, of the dragon season two
3: yeah so um mild spoilers here for fire and blood um but basically the rumor going around right now is that neither nettles nor darren targaryen will appear in house of the dragon season two Um, Now, Daeron is the youngest son of Alicent, Hightower, and Viserys. He was notably absent in season one. We were all speculating, is Daeron cut? Is he not cut? Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Um, And it seemed like they had just held him back for season two. Uh, But now this uh, House of the Dragons is saying Daeron is not going to show up. Nettles is even more interesting to me because Nettles is one of the dragon seeds, which basically they are... Uh, common folk who are they take part in this event called the sowing of the seeds where the blacks led by Ranira, uh basically say we have more dragons than we have dragon riders let's let anyone who can ride a dragon uh we'll give them lands and titles and they will fight for us um nettles is a pretty notable dragon seed uh who is very important to the story
2: i can't imagine that nettles is actually cut um what are your thoughts on this dan she's Okay, so Darren Targaryen I say, is the youngest kid of Alicent and Viserys. Like back in the day when he didn't show up on the first season, George R.R. Mm-hmm. Martin took to his Not a blog and basically talked about, you know, I wish we could have done more, but some yeah. things we had to push back and uh, quaffing. And yes, Allison <laughs> gave Viserys four children, three sons and a daughter. Their younger son, Darren, is down in Old Town. We just didn't have time to work him into this season, implying yeah. it will be in the next one or a future one. But again, that's not for sure. George R. R. Yeah. Martin is not um, the executive. Well, actually, he might be. He's not the showrunner on this. Um, he, he doesn't have, like, final call or anything. And he, George R. Martin had his way every till he be in there. Darren, I'm a little less concerned. I don't know. He wasn't even mentioned in season one. Frankly, yes. I can kind yeah. of believe they might cut him. I, I can Same. believe he might go. I hope he doesn't. He could appear in season three or or he'll appear in this again. This is not guaranteed. He could still appear in season two. I feel like if he doesn't, it's it's we can wave goodbye to Darren Targaryen. Probably. Um, Yeah. Well, they'll at least have to talk about him. Nettles. If Nettles doesn't show up, not all I will keep watching and I will keep writing about it, (laughs) but my enthusiasm will be ratcheted down a few notches this is a gift of, I mean, how could you not want to incorporate Nettles? Like, she has one of the best stories in Fire and Blood. This, like, peasant girl who rises from nothing to become a dragon tamer and gets in a dragon called Sheepstealer and just rides into battle for Rhaeny or Targaryen and then sort of does other things later. Like, she's just yeah. has a really, really good story. I can't believe that they would cut her. And like someone said, maybe if, if she is cut, she'll appear in season three. As Philip Plus says, and it'll not be in the season will be disappointing, but could be introduced in season three is no issue. True. Yeah, true. Uh, yeah, that, that's possible. But I guess the the, the counterbalance this is we have heard of other actors playing some of the other dragons. We've heard of Kieran Boo from Warrior, which is a great show on Max you should watch, playing uh, nice. Hugh Hammer. We've heard of an actor named Tom Bennett playing Ulf the White. We've heard of an actor named Clinton Liberty playing Adam of Hull, and so just all those are the other three Dragon Seeds. To introduce them and not nettles would strike me as odd, but um, it could happen, and and she could just be in it. Like we had that picture, that mysterious picture from months ago when they were filming of at Mm -hmm. least Kieran Boo up on a hill with three other folk. One of whom looks an awful lot like Nettles from the book, like a a a, a, a young dark skinned girl, darker skin girl, who is going to get up on that dragon and ride him cowboy. Um, but yeah. again, we don't know. That could be anybody, but it certainly it certainly looks like it's um, the dragon seeds. So I don't know. I will say if she's not in this, she better be in season three. I hope she's in this Darren Targaryen. Honestly, maybe it's. Bless it, I could probably live without if they decide to cut him.
3: Yeah, I mean, so I agree. I think Nettles would be the, the bigger loss if they did cut these characters. So Darren, it was always suspect to me that they didn't even mention that Darren existed yeah. in season one. So that to me kind of felt like they were leaving the door open in case they needed to cut him. They could cut him if they wanted to bring him in. They could. And hey, here's our neglected, you know, youngest child who's been off his ward in old town for who knows how long so darren you know the sad thing there would be he adds a lot of complexity to that family to the the greens because he's basically like the most valorous of the greens mm-hmm. like he's kind of the that one that you, yeah even even the enemies are like well he's a. Like you said, he's a decent person. They kind of have made characters like Allison a little grayer, so they don't necessarily need that dimension from Darren specifically. They could use. I it. could see them going either way. Nettles is interesting because she's really important. So, like Nettles. If they in- introduced her in season three, which I think they could do, they'd kind of have to draw out the dragon seeds plot line, I think, so that it's not just like an event that happens, but yeah. people are trying to ride dragons over time. And the way Nettles does it does take more time than everyone else. So like other people go up and just try to ride these dragons. Nettles feeds sheep, stealer sheep until the dragon comes to trust her. I love so it. there That's is. A- yeah, it is great. And so there is an interesting thing with Nettles that, uh, you know, we can decide how spoilery we want to go with this, but she is a major part of what drives a rift between Daemon and Rhaenyra ultimately mm-hmm. in the dance of the dragons. So like she serves a very major role and it's kind of like, I'm curious about this, uh, your opinion on this, Dan, uh, yeah. if, so there's a part in Fire and Blood where it says that Damon almost treats Nettles like a daughter. And that always made me wonder if there was something like she was one of Damon's bastards or something like that. Or mm-hmm. just you know, it cuz the assumption is she's just some peasant. Um but that line always kind of stood out to me, like Damon has a particular affinity with Nettles and that ultimately like plays a very large role in the later events. Um, So, yeah, they could introduce her later, but I would be so surprised if they don't introduce her at all, pretty much.
2: If I were the showrunner, and I should be, I'd start building her up um, soon, because I think she has a really good, yeah. rich, full story to tell. But as Fantasy Fan, uh, who is a very wise person, said, a lot of rumors out there, we'll just have to wait and see what is true, which is Absolutely. accurate and wise, and um, isn't giving in to panic, which neither will we. But yeah, those are some rumors going around our House yeah. of the Dragon. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll yep. hear some more between now and when it appears in the summer of 2024. Yes. But unless there's anything else to say, we can move on to the continuing tale of the Wheel of Time co-author, Brandon Sanderson, a.k.a. Brando Sando, a.k.a. Sandy Duncan, um, who wrote the last three Wheel of Time books as well as many mm-hmm. other books continuing to sort of trash um slightly with great affection uh amazon's <laughs> wheel of time tv show a couple weeks ago we did um a whole basically a whole show about the sort yeah. of remarkable live stream where the wheel of time author brandon sanderson co-author watched The Wheel of Time season two finale and just picked it apart to within an inch of its life, pulling at every thread, which is just very strange considering he's a producer, like he's involved with this world. Mm -hmm. It was it was surprise. It was a surprising level of honesty. Maybe maybe too much is honesty always the right policy. You know what? We're taught to believe it is. But um, maybe is maybe Sanderson is convincing us that we're wrong and he went on another uh thing this past week i think it was an episode of his uh podcast yep. he does with another author called intentionally blank and um he sort of kept it up which is fine it's his right it's all good it's just continues to be entertaining mm-hmm. that he will say things like and again i have no brandon sanderson voice i feel like the wheel of time does drama fantastically but arcs poorly in the TV show. And I think we saw that in season one. And I feel like seeing the end of those arcs in episode eight, the finale, the arcs and things don't fit together, but the scenes and the interaction of the characters ended up are really good because the acting is fantastic. The casting is fantastic. So I feel like the wheel of time is really good at filming scenes and not working for me as an epic, large scale plot narrative on the same way. The best parts are things that aren't really having to do with the main plot because they're good actors. Their writing is really solid on those scenes. The drama, they're very good at drama. He likes the drama. But how those pieces all fit together, which it makes an epic fantasy and epic fantasy for me. And that part, it's not working for him. Um, I'm, I don't really have anything, i don't really have anything new to add since the last time I talked about this. I'm just continuing to be a little just what? <laughs> that um, a, yeah. uh, an author of his caliber would be so open about him kind of being disappointed and uh, not fully satisfied with a show that's sort of kind of based on his work, like halfway.
3: Yeah, well, I think, so there's some context for this one that's important. So Intentionally Blank is Sanderson's podcast that he does with Dan Wells, who is an old author friend of his. They started this podcast writing excuses together. They eventually started intentionally blank, which is basically they just ramble about whatever they feel like. Um, it's a lot of fun. And they mm-hmm. do a lot of media analysis on there. And this episode, they were talking about One Piece. And it's and the so the context for this was Sanderson really enjoyed One Piece. Um, and he kind of got into talking about why he's able to turn off his critic hat for One Piece, but not for Wheel of Time. Um, and part of that is that he... Um, he's hyper protective of the wheel of time and specifically Robert Jordan's work and Harriet Uh McDougall, who's Robert Jordan's wife slash editor, like their work on this series. And he basically said, I'm the one who gets to be the advocate for them because Robert Jordan isn't here to give a voice and Harriet's age interrupts her ability to be super involved with the production. And so I have to be the voice for that. And I think, that's fair. I th- So for the record, I think this podcast, I didn't have any problems with this. I didn't think he went overboard. I thought he was very measured in how he talked about it. Um, and it, uh, part of that is that this, the expectation was different. <laughs> you know, with the original live stream, it was kind of like a celebratory first watch type of thing. And then that it just suddenly surprisingly was like critique group. Um, This was they were doing analysis (laughs) on what makes good adaptations and then got into comparing how these two adaptations um, kind of measured up to each other. Um, And I agree with some of the stuff he said here. Uh, Like he said, One Piece has flaws, but it's a better adaptation of the soul of the creator's work than Wheel of Time is, whereas Wheel of Time may be a better show. Like, One Piece is harder to recommend because you have to kind of be okay with some of these anime things that are a little, you know, they're part of the genre. Yeah, people with cat ears. Whereas, Wheel of Time is trying, I think, harder to be appealing to a mass audience and is leaving behind some of those things about Wheel of Time that I sincerely love, but that might not work for a general audience. So we end up with this thing where the Wheel of Time might be better at its core I, and he said, I don't know if I could say that. It might be. But it doesn't feel as good an adaptation. And I like. I agree with this for the record. And I loved The Wheel of Time season two. But I think if we're talking about an adaptation capturing the soul of what was there in the original, like One Piece is incredible for that. I, I've been watching the anime and the live action kind of back and forth. And like, it's amazing how they captured the, the tone and the spirit of one piece. Um, and the wheel of time is kind of modernizing some things. It is changing things about what was there in Robert Jordan's work, I think, to make it more broadly palatable. Um, so I don't know. Do you, what do you think of this? I don't think
2: he was wrong personally. Well, I think it's a little, cause I didn't get the idea from reading the transcripts or looking at the commentary. At least I didn't listen to the whole podcast. That he had mm-hmm. read the One Piece manga or, or seen the anime. So it's a little odd to be talking about what's That's the better true. adaptation. Um, yeah. And neither have I. So I don't know what's the better adaptation. He's probably right. Um, I just mostly found it amusing that he kind of um uh, kind of plunged the knife in <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. And then when the wound is healing, light like, came to pick up the scab a bit. But again, it's all good. It's not like it's harming anybody, really. Um, no I just think it's interesting
3: yeah and and I agree and this is definitely worth listening to if if you're out there like check out this episode of intentionally blank uh, about one piece um I did get the impression and I missed part of the beginning so I did get the impression that neither he or Wells were familiar with the manga but basically the way he justified it was the fan reaction and the reaction of mm-hmm. the creator and how they all seem to be like really on board with it. Whereas the wheel of time, like it is a pretty divisive adaptation divisible. Um, because there is a lot, part of it is the nature of what they're adapting with the wheel of time, which he did say this, he, he admitted maybe his, he's being a little unfair to the wheel of time because one piece where it is now is more straightforward. You know, you have a story, where here's a villainous pirate, here's how we beat the villainous pirate. Whereas The Wheel of Time is, you know, compressing a 15 book series into eight seasons and they're making just uh, all sorts of really large scale decisions about what to cut and what to keep and how to condense stuff. Um, but I think he's, you know, the soul of a creator's work is such a hard thing to define. Um, yes,
2: very hard.
3: But I, I think he's right. Honestly. And I think there are aspects to what the wheel of time is doing that almost capture other elements of the soul of, of Robert Jordan's work in a way that Sanderson struggled with when he was writing them. Um, so it, like he talked on the live stream about how, like for the first several books, he wasn't really sure if like the whole reincarnation, multiple lives thing was legit or not. Like he well, thought, I certainly didn't know. And this is an interesting thing to me, because when when I read that, like getting real here for a sec, mm-hmm. like I am a Wiccan person, like reincarnation is a thing I believe in. There are a lot of cool. religions that believe in reincarnation. So the minute that came up, I was like, sure, reincarnation, I like it. Um, and I think the show has embraced that in a way yeah. that Sanderson, you know, it might have taken him a little while to get on board with. So it is interesting to me how it's almost like, Opposite ends of the spectrum of looking at the soul of Robert Jordan's work from different perspectives, I guess. Um, the way the show is tackling its queer relationships is another one of those examples. Like Sanderson, I wouldn't say he's infamous, but he he has a difficult relationship with the queer community because he's Mormon. Oh, he teaches at BYU. Man. It's a whole thing. Um, but you know, the wheel of time has taken relationships that were almost like. Not problematic, but, you know, Swan and Moiraine's relationship in the books is kind of like, there are some hints it's there, but, like, it doesn't actually get explored in oh, any not level even, of depth. Not,
2: not anywhere close, yeah.
3: Same. And, like, getting into, like, some mild spoilers, but, like, Rand has multiple relationships in The Wheel of Time. And the way it comes oh, off is polygamy. almost like polygamy in the books. And Rafe Judkins <laughs> has said, like... Do we have We're to say Almost. Yeah, not almost. Rafe Judkins has said he doesn't have any interest in exploring polygamy, but he is interested Mm -hmm. in exploring polyamory. And that's like an important distinction that like, I don't know that Sanderson in the way he adapted, not adapted, but the way he approached Wheel of Time, I couldn't see him making those distinctions the same way I could see the creatives attached to the show making them. So this is part of why I think Mm -hmm. the Wheel of Time, even if one piece is a better adaptation i think it is i think wheel of time is a more fascinating adaptation because it's so not straightforward
2: you know it never occurred to me before and i might be way out of line here because i'm again spectrified i don't know it never i never thought about the connection potential connection probably not between the polygamy and the wheel of time and then Sanderson being a Mormon, Mormons being historically associated with polygamy, being chosen to uh, continue the Willow Time series. I know that Sanderson well, is a polygamist or anything yeah. like that, but uh, I haven't gotten to the polygamists yet. By the way, in the books. I don't know how it goes down. It's, <laughs> I know I, it, it's it's famous. It's famously it polygamous, is. and I'm like, yes. I'm curious to get there. My read, by the way, in a lot of those reincarnation stuff from the early books is that I'm reading the books. I'm on book four. Mm-hmm. It feels to me like Jordan makes. I'm not sure Jordan knew there was reincarnation at first. I mean, maybe he did. I haven't looked deeply into this, but it seems like he makes up some elements as he goes. Like um, the whole thing, like is Baal's the dark one is he a separate one reading the books. I don't know if he knew until um, a, like a couple books in when he kind of made the decision to that they're different people. Uh yeah. I think that's happening. And the show definitely clears that up. They are different. And I I I agree with that. Better adaptation versus more fascinating adaptation. I think it's a good way to put it.
3: Yeah. And you know, Baal Zaman's an interesting example. That's is in the books. Sure. Um because that's a that's an identity fake out. So that's different than like the books open with Luz Theron Telemon, the previous dragon, yes, basically making the mountain of dragon mount and then you find and then the whole book is about rand finding out he's the reincarnated version of that person so like mm-hmm. there i do agree like robert jordan very clearly was figuring plenty mm-hmm. of things out as he went but like that's like the crux of the book is rand you're a reincarnation of this famous historic figure Balzamon's almost a different thing um but yeah, it, it is interesting. It, this is why I like the Wheel of Time adaptation, because it's really, it does give good really uh, food for to for about.
2: Yeah. Adam Gonzalez hopes to talk about Howland Reed. and Reed is gone. and Reed is Howland long Reed. gone. And he is not coming back. Um,
0: he'll show up in the Winds of
2: Winter, I'm sure, but he was barely in Game of Thrones, and he is definitely not coming to House of the Dragon. Um, unless they take a big swipe out of left field which, you know, who knows? We'll who find knows? out somewhere in 2024. And you know what? Maybe we'll be seeing the Wheel of Time season three in December 2024. You seem pretty yeah. sure it's not going to be in that year. I don't know why I'm holding out hope, um, Well, but I am. Yeah,
3: I mean, I. so the reason that I'm kind of on the fence, I think production-wise, it could totally be next year. I feel like it would be a huge coup for the Wheel of Time to pull it off it and be. have two solid seasons in a row. Because I think season three is going to be really good, it is just my knowing what book material they're tackling, where they're at budget wise, where the production is at in terms of how, how comfortable it is filming. I think if they could do two seasons one year after the next, it would probably really elevate the show and the public eye quite a bit. It would be
2: great if someone tried to normalize one season per year again.
3: Yeah. Yeah, agree. But the reason I don't know that that will happen is mainly because of Amazon uh, marketing. Because they, the Rings of Power season two is coming next year, and if they dump we both of, of their bit, we don't yet know. Um, but I, it would be interesting. Like I don't know if Amazon is going to drop the Rings of Power and the Wheel of Time both in the same year, because mm-hmm. then we're going to have a year without either of them after that.
2: Um, They'll just do more Citadel than the the, the next year to make up for all of it.
3: Oh, God. Uh, I do want to hit fantasy fans comment. I think Wheel of Time is 2025 now because they're filming in South Africa next summer. Uh, Just a reminder here. Yes. Well, kind of. They have to film in (laughs) South Africa still, which is where it's believed they're doing the Isle Waste um, and maybe some Tanchico scenes. But uh, as far as the next summer thing, keep in mind, Southern Hemisphere, summer, the seasons are reversed. So that next summer comment comes from, I believe, a comment that the makeup and hair designer, uh, Davinia Lamont, said that they, she thought they were filming in oh, summer, but wow. I, but the seasons are reversed. So summer, there would actually be winter here. So it's not totally
2: clear when they're filming, but it,
3: I don't, I think it will be sooner than next summer.
2: Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. A, a good yeah. time. Next year will be good between the Rings of Power and House of Back in season two. Whether it has nettles or not, it'll be an interesting time to uh, be watching television. Uh, yes. Speaking of television, <laughs> just two <Interesting today>, times, <laughs> Dude, this was wild to me. I I just kind of got through reading this article. It's pretty um, nuts. I love the picture. We're going to yes. shift into corporate gossip uh, for a yes. minute here, everybody, and tell corporate you what goss. the people on charge of HBO uh, do when they're alone in their offices, making those million dollar deals, getting paid hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars. And what are they up to? Um, some stuff you wouldn't expect. So Casey Bloys is an executive at HBO who I've known for a while. He He's always yeah. in the news. Totally he's he's been like into the development side of things for, for many years. He's now the the CEO of HBO, a pretty big position like HBO yes. is. I'm going to go ahead and call it the most trusted name in TV, probably. Um, I think I think I think that's reasonable think that's to fair. say. Yeah. And he's in charge of it. That's a big responsibility. He is a he's a pretty big deal. He has a lot of power. Yeah. So there is a lawsuit going on right now where a former employee named Sully uh, Tamori is suing hbo for wrongful termination um and as part of that lawsuit they are gathering all these text messages that Blois allegedly will say allegedly because this is not proven out of a doubt yet but yeah it be for a judge to decide you don't want to get a jury.
3: A, the secret army after us
2: <laughs> well now now I mean, so whenever there's a mean comment maybe the secret army uh so Blois. CEO of HBO has allegedly done all of these tweets, um, basically ordering Tamori, who was an intern and then a, a executive assistant, to create sock puppet accounts on Twitter or X, whatever floats your boat. This day, going on like sites like Deadline, and just firing back at comments that Blois read and didn't like. So, for instance, um, you know, Casey Bloys would see like critic Alan Sepinwall, who's a pretty big critic for Rolling Stone, give a show like The Nevers a two point five star review, and then Bloys would tweet to um, another executive, uh, McCaffrey, Kathleen McCaffrey. Kathleen McCaffrey. There you go. Uh, He would tell her. Can our secret operative please tweet at Alan's review? Alan is always predictably safe and sacred in his opinions and safe and scared, sorry, in his opinions. And then McCaffrey would tell Tamori to do it. And lo and behold, that comment would appear. The burner fake account that they use to do all this. When I last checked literally like an hour ago, it's still up. It's this fake account named Kelly Shepard who is yeah. still up on Twitter and were just like subtweet critics who didn't give HBO glowing reviews and just say things like that, that Casey Boy spent time workshopping in his office so they could yeah. be mean to Alan Seppenwall, which I think is crazy. And it, they, did this is. To, they, they did this to critics like um, the New York Times critic, um, James Ponywazik about the Nevers. He's a thing with the Nevers. Uh, for Steppenwald's review of *Mayor of Easttown. He would even do it to like, not critics, but like random commenters on Deadline who would just sort of make anonymous, errant comments that were critical of HBO. And Steppenwald would be like, I think there was one quote where he was like, we can't stand for this, something like that. And he would workshop like ways. Couldn't we call them uh, that they're just trying to virtue signal or accuse him of being misogynistic or coming down to a show about uh, women with the Nevers. Very, very cynical and very, very petty because these subtweets and replies to anonymous comments on Deadline are not really seen by many people at all. No. And this is like a high powered, extremely well compensated, I imagine. I don't know what, how, what kind of money he makes, but it can't be nothing. Probably. Um, executive spending his time like obsessively scrolling through comments on twitter and deadline and then tweeting other like well-confident executives we have to do something about this and workshopping replies and then getting sock puppet accounts to fire back and the, yeah a, a, another um uh quote that stood out to me was i think for they didn't uh end up going after um vulture critic who tweeted something critical of um perry mason Catherine uh van arendak but when they were thinking about it blois said like we just need a random to make the point and make her feel bad (laughs) to like reply to something she criticized about the show they didn't end up doing that one this yeah this this is nuts like how would you feel if you're investing money in one of discovery this multi-million dollar company billions of dollars and one of your executives who you're paying probably millions of dollars too i don't know exactly what he makes is spending his time doing this petty nonsense that no one's going to see
3: yeah i mean so the larger this this story blew my mind uh it broke today and basically like tamori you know they're filing a lawsuit kind of just to bring more awareness to this sort of vindictive culture at HBO. Like they talked about how at one point they had, you know, uh, confided that they had a a mental illness issue Mm -hmm. and basically like uh, another producer, I think Francesca Orsi is her name. I've heard of her. uh, Like pulled that pulled Tamori like away from their normal job to like watch kittens in her office. And then like, Mm -hmm mocked him on the phone being like oh yeah he's here watching kittens for mental health like while yeah. he was in the room so like that is you know there's an endemic thing here where they're doing this lawsuit to bring attention to these things and that kelly Shepard account was tamori um so like yeah. that is why it's still up there Parody what
2: bloys told him to yeah
3: yeah and and so parroting like like we're talking literally here like the texts from Blois are the exact same words as the tweets which went out to critics from like basically a fake account with like one follower and a
2: bunch of numbers after the name that's like she's still she,
3: her vegan Texan mom like,
2: Texan herbalist aromatherapist yeah. vegan it's all the details
3: yeah so like it it is why if I was an investor I agree with you I'd be like it, this is the sort of thing I would tell you know Uh, anyone like don't waste your time with these sorts of comments people are vitriolic on the internet like you will drive yourself insane replying to and this is so like these aren't even some of them aren't even mean comments like going after critics is Mm -hmm. is its own brand of like that's kind of reprehensible because those people are just doing their jobs and they're mm-hmm. not trying to hurt your feelings. Like this isn't even a, like a Casey Boyes production. Like he didn't put his blood, sweat, and tears into the Nevers. Like let's be real, that was other people working on that. But because he's the yeah, that was, HBO, um, like can't let it pass. Joss that Whedon,
2: was a, that was disgraced Hollywood pariah, yeah. Joss Whedon, put his blood, sweat, and tears into that one. Yeah, um, yeah, just like it, it. It's amazing to me because I feel like social media and kind of the comment culture has been around long enough now that we're seeing how it can negatively affect someone's life. Like there are studies on people, you know, how just spending all your time on Instagram, Twitter can kind of depress you can make you less engaged with the real world. And there's a stereotype of, of, of like the person who's like, you know, always online or extremely online people who just kind of live on the internet and do get into these like comment wars and it's not seen as like a positive thing and, and and i think now people are making more strategies effectively about how to avoid that like we're we're reaching mass consciousness about the fact that this probably that, that there are healthy and unhealthy ways to engage with random strangers on the internet and, and that they're and, and and they don't have to do what casey boys is doing yeah it, just, it boggles my mind that someone like as You'd think that someone like Casey Bloys would be would not do this, would like know these things and would use his time for something else. But no, mm-hmm. he's like he, he's like an a a 13-year-old um edgelord who's discovered Reddit for the first time, is kind yeah. of the 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 sense you get from it, which is just it's wild. Honestly, yeah. and I don't know if this is the kind of thing that goes under the rug we all forget about it in a week. Or this is the kind of thing that builds and like results in his job being gone. I do not know, because this this article broke today at Rolling Stone.
3: Yes, I agree. I don't know how it's going to shake out. It probably will depend somewhat on how the lawsuit shakes out, but it really does not look good. And so JP has this. He said, I'm with Casey. Wasn't there a story Mm. recently about studios paying money to critics for positive reviews? And yeah, you're talking Mm. about, I assume, Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, There there were reports that... Studios were paying money to basically artificially inflate Rotten Tomatoes reviews. And Jay, that's fair that you're you're making this point. But HBO did this. Like, that's part of this news story <laughs> is that HBO did this for the Idol. There were a... Suspicious amount of accounts based in India that were made and then made Rotten Tomatoes reviews of glowing ten you know ten out of ten reviews for the Idol all in a very suspiciously short amount of time that is basically being linked back to HBO. So like, you might have a fair point about that. You know, critics shouldn't be taking money from studios to to do positive reviews. Full stop. Completely agree with
2: you. But HBO. It seems like as part of this problem, yeah. Studios um, probably shouldn't and, give critics money for reviews either. Exactly. And Alan Sepinwall is not yeah. one of the ones who would take money. He he's he's already got a gig. Gainfully employed. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> this is like a high-powered executive paying money to juice reviews and then going back to just blast the ones that didn't take the money. It sounds like yes, yeah. actually, yeah. That
3: that is a. Plannedestinely,
2: secretly with thick accounts.
3: Yeah, we're getting into speculation a little bit, but yes, yeah, that's kind are. of the way this all comes off. Um, because you know, like getting on the mayor of Easttown review, I think that was like a three out of five. Like it wasn't even like a scathing review; it just mm-hmm. wasn't a glowing review. And but that was enough that Casey Bloys texted. Uh, his, you know, lower down executive and said, hey, we need to get someone to go out and shame that critic and accuse (laughs) them of virtue signaling and being a misogynist and all this kind of stuff where it's like, that's not even talking about the, uh, you know, the matter of the review. That's not talking about what was in the review that is going into personal attacks. I don't know that the reviews didn't go into personal attacks. Like you can't get into the tit for tat only so much, but yeah, it's still lowering yourself to a much lower frequency to do very child, childish, stupid, stupid things. Like your point about like this is a top executive using their time to go after people on Twitter. Like, I don't know. Like, I, w- it's mind blowing to me. So yeah, I'm curious to wild. see how it shakes out. Um, me too. And,
2: I'm and, disappointed
3: because I, see- I thought I
2: suppose. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I I guess I guess we all want to hope that, our, that 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 the the company behind some of our favorite shows is um exactly. operated by, by people who have a higher standard for themselves. But um, I mean, he's still like a multi million dollar paid executive. I don't know how um how much you can break from um the the tradition. Uh, but yeah, I'm curious what will happen to him I, if anything, because nice. it, it very much could just like be. I'll laugh at it and move on kind of thing. That's embarrassing, though. Damn. Yeah. All
3: right. Uh, And I hope things work out well for uh, Tamori, the person who's doing the lawsuit, because it sounds like they really went through the ringer. They basically said that HBO put them in a script assistant position, uh, basically gave them a demotion, telling them that it wasn't a demotion to work on the idol, and they did it specifically so they could fire them, is their... What
2: their any job on the idol is a demotion that show <laughs> was yeah a rough one
3: i'll take your word i haven't watched it and i have no intention to
2: yeah um, i think you have to skip that one um but you know what you won't watch the idol what are you watching nice nice uh that was a transition for the ages
3: um, I've been getting my spooky season on, uh, Ooh. so I, this week I've been watching pretty much all spooky stuff. I rewatched the stranger things for finale, which yes, it counts cool. as a Halloween movie. It's two and a half hours.
2: Yeah. That's two and a half.
3: It was two and a half hours. It was. It was. Oh, that Lord. was the longest of the Halloween movies I watched. I also watched Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I had never seen. Oh, cool. Uh, good one. Yeah. Which, it was very cool. Very good. A very horny movie. Uh, Winona Ryder makes out with everybody and all sorts of bloody get up.
2: Mm-hmm. What have you? It's It was a the, good time. The long red robe and the sky high yes. white wig. Yeah, and Gary, Gary Oldman. Oldman. Thing. It's, fun. it's a fun one.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also watched A Haunting in Venice, which is I saw that um, too. D- what did you think of it?
2: It was cute. It was nice. I liked it. It was dramatic.
3: Yeah, that was pretty much Moody. my feelings. Um, you know, I enjoyed it. I liked some of the twists at the end. It's a it's a murder mystery based on it's, I think an well Agatha Christie. Yeah, it was well put together. Um, you know, not one I'm going to be gunning to go back to anytime no, soon, but it was a great so, way to spend nice. a Spooky season night Ooh. Yeah Um, What have you been watching Dan
2: I have been watching some screeners Um, I'm going uh, Very soon I think Friday The new season of Invincible comes to Ooh, Amazon nice. Prime Video This is the Animated superhero show based on Robert Kirkman's Comic he's the guy who did The Walking Dead And the show is Really good Again Superheroes are everywhere Superheroes are yeah. too everywhere uh, there are 18 Marvel shows. There's a million DC movies and we've known for a while. They're kind of getting to the point where it just, it's starting to feel, you're starting to feel the formula. I think most people in general are yeah. starting to feel like it just doesn't have the punch it used to. Like we, we sure. are past the days of the culture rallying around Avengers Endgame, but Amazon has not one, but two superhero shows that really feel interesting and fun. The Boys and Invincible, which both go pretty hard on the gore and um, like the sort of intense violence. Um, but Invincible is much more optimistic a show than The Boys. Hmm. The Boys is like cynical down to its core. It's uh, all about yeah. uh, what if superheroes were awful like Invincible superheroes are like they're, they're great. They're good guys. They want to do the right thing. But they're also, you know, supervillains because that happens. Yeah, Um. it's just a more again. I, I say it every single time. It's earnest and subversive at the same time, and it really works, and it feels different. This like to me, Amazon is the pe- people doing superheroes right right now. They are at the yeah. top of the heap. They're beating Disney Plus. They're beating Marvel Studios. They're beating DC. They're doing a great yeah. job. And um, it airs Friday. I've watched two of the four episodes we're getting. And I love it a lot so far. We're going to get all eight, but I think the strikes made them delay the back half into 2024, which, you know, yeah. happens.
3: Yeah, which is interesting. I, am- I don't know how the strikes would affect Invincible because Robert Kirkman said they already film, They already recorded voice acting for season three
2: of Invincible. Ooh. Um, I think it might have been because this is again, I, I, I feel like I heard this somewhere, which is enough source for me. <laughs> That okay. um, that part of the reason they they cut it in half is because uh they want to have some content for when other shows oh. that would have been in that time slot would have been airing but couldn't because of strikey stuff. Okay, um, that makes sense. And Robert Harris asked thoughts on Loki. I do like Loki. Loki has been fun. I, I think it's the best MCU show to come along in a while. Certainly better than Secret Invasion. I do think it's it's still a little pinned in. It's very plot heavy. Like they spend a lot of time talking about the loom and like the book and all these like kind of, sp- there's a lot of MacGuffins in that show. Um, there are like kind of anything, but to get the characters to drive this story forward, which they still do anyway. It looks great. It's good. Oh, I st- And the cliffhanger was good. Loki is the best MCU show to come along in quite a while. That Agreed. I will definitely say that. I still, I still have some issues, but um, I still do think Invincible has it beat.
3: Yeah, I think Loki is definitely the best MCU show that we've had in, in quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm enjoying it a lot, but I, I do feel like Loki is like fighting the tide a little bit because the MCU has been kind of on like a little bit of a downward trend, and Loki is the first step in the other direction that Or it has the had in a while, exception
2: that proves the rule.
3: We'll find out. Uh, apparently the mm-hmm. last two episodes, you know, producers always say their shows are good. <laughs> I, I guess the producer says Sanders they're good. Says um, the producer says the next two episodes are supposed to be great. So I am, I'm All intrigued right. about what's coming in the next two episodes of Loki. I did enjoy the cliffhanger. I do agree that it's a little plot heavy, which I, I am not someone that's usually bothered by that, except in this case, my favorite parts about Loki are when they just, give the actors room to like have chemistry together and do, do stuff
2: yeah and
3: and I want more of that
2: so I'm curious Loki himself like seems a little bit I don't know toothless or at least missing a few teeth like he's not quite as like funny sarcastic quippy chaotic as you kind of expect the Mission to be but he's yeah. good and he's fun they're all fun
3: yeah I enjoy um, yeah
2: Unless... I hope they get sorry
3: back to that Sorry, I hope they get back to the to Loki having a little more teeth. Because the first two episodes I thought did that really well where mm-hmm. he's interrogating the guy, he's he's chasing him, he's using his powers in different ways. You know, he's ruminating on whether he should backtrack into his villainy a little bit. Um, I enjoyed all of that, so I want a little bit more of a Loki character study in these final two episodes. I hope I do it.
2: enjoy the shrinking orange box of death. That, yes. that last episode, they like killed a lot of folk off screen. That was pretty hardcore for the MCU. they will probably bring yeah. them all back in some timeline thing because they, they, they that
3: spaghettied too. Yeah, they spaghettied Jonathan Major. That was say. funny.
2: That was funny. That was good. He walked out like it's 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 been a while since the Show has made me like smile like this. So good for yeah. Loki. Yeah. Um, I never another thought. Oh, my uh joke before I turned it over to you again was that um unless the producer of your show is Brandon Sanderson, they're going to say that the episodes are great. Now, if he was the producer and he said, like, oh, the last two episodes, yeah, they're pretty bad. I mean, the fir- the first three are good, but um after that it kind of goes downhill. But no, normally I think everyone's going to um really, really boost them up.
3: Yeah. I you know, it's interesting. I so I love Brandon Sanderson. I've been following his career Maybe for years guess. and years and years. Um, I almost feel like he has a hard time mm-hmm. taking off his like writing group cap a little bit when he's talking about these things. And mm-hmm. yeah, um, i i'm curious to see so he is going to review wheel of time season two more fully on that intentionally blank podcast and i'll definitely be watching um the only other thing i just wanted to mention on here there are two other things i've been getting into this week um one is beacon 23 which is a new show on mgm plus that comes out on november 12th Mm. that's based on a yeah it's starring lena Heaty and stefan james uh it is based on a book by hugh howie who's the dude who wrote silo so if you liked silo you might want to check out beacon 23 even if it means maybe getting mgm plus which apparently is a streaming service that has things mm-hmm. on it um and beyond all that because it has just been a very busy couple of weeks here god it has um I read Patrick Rothfuss's new novella, The Narrow Road Between Desires, uh, which comes out on November 14th. Um, so, you know, just some first impressions here. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I definitely have a lot of a lot of thoughts and I can't get into all of them, but I will say that I, it was wonderful to read some of Rothfuss's writing again. And, you know, a couple pages in, I was like, ah, this is why I enjoyed your writing. This is a lot of fun. Um, That's good. Yeah, so this is a a new and improved version of his story, "The Lightning Tree," which was in uh, an anthology that George R. R. Martin and Gardner Dozois published back in the day called Rogues. And basically, after reading this, like I, I would never recommend to someone to read "The Lightning Tree" again um, okay. because this it has like it really is just a new and improved version of this story, and I think. Mm-hmm you know like that is both on a line by line level like he clearly polished up all the writing as he does i'm sure obsessively and it like beyond a shadow of a doubt this is a just a much more enjoyable read uh he also there are also some new scenes mixed in which i think is about all i can okay. say there um and the new scenes give this story a lot more meaning uh the the lightning tree is something i used to describe to people as boss uh, both's fey companion boss basically going around a day in his village doing fey stuff <laughs> was what the lightning tree was. And uh, the narrow road between desires has a lot more meaning than that. It, it is a deeper, better story than just boss doing boss stuff. So, yeah, I'm curious, to, I'm excited to talk about it more when we can.
2: So, he did write new stuff for this,
3: yes, it is okay. mostly. Yeah, he wrote a, a lot of new stuff for this because okay. I, I will say every. Every scene from the lightning tree makes an appearance here. All of ah. them are greatly improved. And then there's some new stuff mixed into. So uh, there's it really does make the old version kind of obsolete um, because it's just a much richer story. The characters are much better. The art is beautiful. there's a lot of art in this from nate taylor who's the same artist who did the slow regard of silent things um and yeah it it, it's a wonderful book um i'm sure he's gonna get flack for it because it's not the doors of stone but i'm glad this book exists on its own the lightning tree deserves to get a a full book the way that the slow regard of silent things did and this is you know it's it was better than I expected. So cool. I enjoyed I it a lot.
2: It. Yeah. Nice. Um, well, on, on that happy thought, why don't we go into the <laughs> Wick News lightning round where we. Where we recap stories. We couldn't get to anybody of the show with our 20 second takes. As usual, yes. these are in no order at all. So we're going to okay. go at it and see where the chips fall. All right. Daniel. Um, yes. I'll, you know what? You know what? I'll read this one My to to you. for you. Okay, okay.
3: Uh, the official House of the Dragon coloring book goes on sale May 7th, 2024.
2: Look at that. Isn't that fun? House of the Dragon coloring yes. book. Um, I mean, if you want to color in Damon, you can color his hair or anything you want. It doesn't have to be blonde. It can be like <laughs> red, black, whatever. Um, That's cute. I do think the that it's May 7th because that could give us a little clue about the premiere date for season two because they usually put out merch, like, you know, leading up to the new season to. Increase the sales. So um it all ends up with summer twenty twenty-four release date for house Truck season two. Cool. Interesting. Cool. I
3: like how you read the tea
2: leaves on that. Thank you. Um Daniel, going back yes. to Wheel of Time, season th- the season three premiere of the Wheel of Time is titled To Race the Shadow. that mean anything to you? Yeah, uh that
3: is a um it's a chapter title from the book. I don't remember which book, honestly, because The Wheel of Time the pulls Dragon them from Reborn. all over, The Dragon Reborn. They pull them from all over the place. So that the events of the book chapter will probably not be in this episode. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a fitting title uh, for a season that is adapting to Shadow Rising. And I'm getting nervous because it's going to be <laughs> epic and there could be some intense stuff. Um, ooh, this is fun. So Christopher Nolan, esteemed director and cool, maker yeah. of films, he filmed mm-hmm. scenes for his movie Oppenheimer aboard the railroad
2: George RR Martin owns in New Mexico. Yeah, um I'm sorry, I always forget names. It's like the Dragon like no, like the Sky whatever. George R. Martin owns a railroad in New Mexico. It goes from Santa Fe to like basically a patch of empty land. And Christopher Nolan, he wants to film on a real train. He goes, George R. Martin. He's like, can I film your train? He's like, yeah, I can film your train. Here's a rental fee. And he does it. <laughs> they dress up the seats, and they go in the cars. They go back and forth. They get up in costume, and Killian Murphy is there. And it was fun. Trains, yeah. Oppenheimer, bombs, kabam. Um, nice. All right. I I can go ahead and ask you this. Um, the sure. Sandman, uh, the Netflix show adaptation of uh, Neil Gaiman's uh, comic book. English actor Barry Sloan will play destruction one of the uh endless siblings along with dream death desire despair all them people that's cool i am not super familiar
3: with barry sloan uh, particularly but i love getting Call of duty oh okay i love getting these confirmations uh you know destruction there are other ones uh from the endless we're looking forward to seeing in season two yeah, Delirium. So uh, any news about The Sandman is good news as far as I'm concerned. That is going to be one of our most anticipated shows of next year, I bet.
2: Don't know if it'll be next year. but yeah. As Oof. Nicole says, not surprised he goes a railroad. He, he, he looks like a conductor. He completely does. suspenders in the hat. <laughs> yeah, I agree utterly.
3: Uh, um, all right. Uh, oh, this is one for you, Dan.
2: And It Follows sequel is coming. Yeah, I'm not surprising. It follows was a horror movie from like a few years ago. Okay, did you ever see it? No. I saw it in the theater and it's about like a thing that follows you and it takes it and and, and no one can see it but you. I was walking back home. I was terrified. I like I went across the street not to like pass by people. It was really spooky. And of course, it's going to be called They Follow. I mean, it's now. Um, yeah. Sure, fun. Make a new horror movie. It was good. I like the first one. I don't know if the horror movie. franchise sequels are a little dicey, but whatever. Good. They Follow. Not that follow me. All right. Um Daniel, here's a fun little tidbit about J.K. Rowling, author of Harry Potter. So remember how there were a uh, movie series of movies called the Fantastic Beast movies, and there were gonna be three, and then JK Rowling announced one day there were gonna be five. Apparently, when she announced there were gonna be five, like no one knew that but her. The director said that it came as a total surprise. And they ran it only ended up being three anyway. So thoughts? That's weird.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, that's weird. Uh, I don't have too many thoughts on this. Uh, it's kind of a classic example of person says a thing they probably shouldn't have., uh, you know, if even the director doesn't didn't know it, it sounds like there were maybe weren't actually plans for five fantastic beasts, but she just had ideas for two more and wanted to write two more. Um, but then they tanked. So here we are with three, and the world is probably a better place for it. I just love that. We're making five. We are yeah right like what if that person had other commitments uh you know were the actors contracted for three or five anyway um here's a fun one so Lena Headey uh Game of Thrones star who played Cersei Lannister Mm -hmm. said that the one and only Queen Cersei said she and Maisie Uh, this is a quote uh, Maisie Williams and I would fantasize about a Cersei and Arya showdown that she would, that Arya would come back as Jamie. That was our dream, but they made different choices.
2: Yeah. She kind of looked back on her Game of Thrones time. She revealed she has not watched House of the Dragon. I mean, it's all good. I'm sure they all did make choices. I'm, by the way, I'm not one of the ones who are upset about Cersei or I thought, I think they both had decent endings, especially Arya. I liked her kind of not getting into vengeance and leaving with a hound of urging. But, um, in, you know, in an alternate reality, that happened. Um, in my rewrite right. of season eight, those <laughs> things don't change in particular. Those things. stay. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, uh, I like Cersei's ending, too. I wish she had more screen time in season eight. But yeah, I like the do. end. Yes. And maybe, I mean, whatever. We gotta move on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Finally, I don't know if you have one, but Daniel, uh, there's a movie called Five Hundred Freddy's out in theaters now. It's adaptation of a popular horror video game, and it's a huge hit. What do you think of it?
3: Um, I have no opinion on the movie itself. I haven't seen mm-hmm. it. I think it's awesome to see Five Nights at Freddy's become like this cult classic that just keeps going. Because when I used to work in a bookstore, there was a bunch of like merchant stuff for this. And I was like, what the hell is this? Like, it wasn't that popular, (laughs) but it just kept gaining like underground popularity. And now the movie is like a huge horror hit. Um, It's kind of like gateway horror. You can maybe see it with your kids if you want to scar them for a year or two. But yeah, glad it's doing well.
2: And another um hit video game adaptation i'm going to see more of those i predict. Yeah. but this was fun. fantasy fan for- says it's good oh good i mean i i've heard it's fun i've, I've heard it's interesting i don't know if i'll see it but we'll see um yeah. thanks for commenting fantasy fan. thanks for commenting everyone nicole um robert harris love to hear from everybody uh come back next week we're here every wednesday at 2 p.m cst central standard time Uh, talking about all things movies tv books fantasy maybe even games sometimes we don't know um we're also available in podcast form itunes play wherever podcasts are available give us a like give us a subscribe give us a comment uh we really appreciate anything you can give us We, we we love talking to you guys every week um so until next time i'll just say that casey bloys came off as um an insecure doofus leave a comment below
3: unless you're casey boys
2: this podcast is brought to you by Fancider. Join our community of over three hundred sites from sports, to pop culture, and everything in between.
1: Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue all in the Kroger app. get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound all with your card and a digital coupon